0: You're not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a
1: bit of a different angle. You know, I'm gonna budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? I think that's a
2: dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old fashioned way with customer service. I know you don't
4: always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.
1: Hi there and welcome to another episode of the digital insurance pint podcast. I'm your host Tom Reed. And as always, I'm joined by my colleagues, Steve Earl, CEO of Cheap Insurance. Hello. Adam Mitchell. CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. And not yet here in person, but here in spirit is Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. And today we are super pleased to be joined by the world-famous tag team of Kurt Wyatt and Pete Tessier from the Insurance Podcast. Hey, guys.
4: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us here. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. It's... um Man, it's it's high tech. I'm looking at people and bars are bouncing on the screen Pete like we don't have this stuff. What's going on?
5: Well, we're more of a kiss model, right? Keep it simple, stupid.
1: You you have good mics though. So. We're the we're the digital insurance plan podcast. So we got to we got to go with the tech, right? But you guys do have killer mics. I'm sure you can bust out a acapella version of Bohemian Rhapsody at any point here. But there's an 8 out of 10 chance that they're not hooked up. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And Jeff, welcome to uh, the podcast. Yeah, thanks for guys. Normally we have a nice you know, script with a bunch of questions. We have a flow. We're going to do a little more free form today. So I'm going to pose a question to the gang here and we are going to essentially riff on that theme. It's a really, well, we think really important question. And the question boils down to why are brokers not gaining more market share? Right, That market share needle between broker agent direct over the last few years, it's been sort of stable. It goes up and down a little bit, but, but what, you know, why are, why are brokers not getting more market share? Clearly the brokers have the best uh, delivery system you know, with the advice, multiple markets, advocacy, all that stuff. Why is it not knocking the, knocking the heck out of uh, the directs and the, uh, the agent uh, channel?
5: Do you want the long or the short summary really quick, Tom?
1: Up to you, up to you
5: let's say we're not all created equal right so i bet you if you broke down you know this is the top level of your premise if you broke down who are the innovators and you could get decent reports you probably see the innovators are growing but uh, but there's a lot of stagnation at the other end of the spectrum on the broker distribution channel so i look around this group and i see innovators we're probably, you know, fighting and having successes and and some failures. But as Jeff says, we're not afraid to fail, you know, first attempt in learning. And and we're probably finding some opportunities where others aren't. But the biggest point if you want to float all boats is, is that we have inefficient systems that some customers find way more appealing if you're going to a direct. Because it's seamless, it's easier. It makes sense to them because they can compare it to their other shopping experiences, whether in person or online.
1: Yeah, that that that's a great point. And maybe I'll just speaking of uh, this group of innovators here. So you know, insurance um, growth is an interesting one because obviously rate gets baked into that, right? But if we strip the rate out and just look at PIF count growth, you know, if I look at Steve, Adam, and Jeff. Are you guys growing your PIF counts? Right? Yes or no? Yes.
2: Yeah, 100% PIF yeah. policy of growth. Yeah,
1: Jeff's growing PIF. Steve, you're growing PIF count? Well,
3: go go the other side. Like if, if market share is growing at 3%, just holding steady would be inflation, not inflation, immigration, you know, somewhere in the three. So if you're north of that, you're taking market share from somebody.
1: GDP's I mean, not that's growing. basically where i was going with that yeah, yeah.
2: well the, the other thing you have to look at though rates going up right like that's kind of a misnomer uh you talking about policy growth only and are you talking premium growth like a lot of people are getting a lot higher growth this year but the premiums have gone up four or five percent so you got uh, the gross domestic product growing and you've also got rates growing on top of that
1: because uh from my perspective you know rate is a complicating factor and right? if rates go down your revenue goes down if rates go up your revenue goes up it doesn't really determine your market share per se, right? Your market share, depending on how you calculate it. The way I look at it in the terms of true growth is are you growing policy count or 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 client count? And as Adam pointed out, you know, the, the population grows, you know, around two, three percent, give or take. So as long as you are your policy count or your client count is going up by more than two or three percent, you are net gaining on your competitors, you're growing market share. And if you're not, like you could be you could be growing Ten percent, But if 12 of those points is rate and minus two is policy count, you look like you're growing, but you're actually shrinking.
5: Well, policy counts an important metric because you need to know, are you acquiring more customers or more business than you're losing, right? Your retention rate and everything. But I think one of the things that we don't do very well as insurance brokers is we bring in ideas of churn. There's a whole class of policies that are likely to churn that are out of our control, so you need to understand what your churn rate is and where that fits in your customer segmentation. And if I hear the next person talk, when you bring up the word segmentation, say, oh, you got your A clients, your B clients, your C clients, they're going to throw a can of bubbly through the screen because I don't give a crap about A, B's or C's. That's stupid, it's old school and it's outdated you know what, you need to, you need to like A's, if you can't identify an A client and you need to segment them into that, you you shouldn't be in the business. That's the most obvious thing out there. i say it's intuitive. What you should be doing, is thinking about what are you, what is your segmentation that's likely to churn, and then what's your average retention run on those clients, and then that determines the experience. Because if you can automate that experience for clients that are likely to churn, have low retention, and you have an average stay with them in that class of business, you're going to make way more freaking money.
3: I think I think it's a it's a good uh, call out or observation on I think separating uh, efficiency um from effectiveness is is slightly different and and so we've we've adopted a bit of a mandate of of don't jump right to technology so beta test everything with a person a program whether that be your retention your phone answer your segmentation whatever and then you can apply uh, technology whether it be rpa or apis or bots or other things to you know help reduce your cost of operating that winning tactic
0: why is that cost adam high though like I wanted to answer the question initially why aren't we getting more market share more than we are with um our because a lot of times our experience really sucks so why why does our experience suck and you talked about innovators who are growing in my experience and talking to other innovators innovators are the ones who are the most frustrated with what we have in front of us in in, and the hurdles involved in order to deliver a better customer experience or one that doesn't suck compared to what the directs are doing?
3: Yeah. I mean, so we finished last year to put some numbers to it at at a 33% growth clip, right? Let's strip out 5% for GDP and immigration growth and say, okay, you're, you're left with your 28 of that 28% growth, 60% came from direct writers. Okay. So like we trade punches back and forth. And the other part came from competitor brokers, but could it have run more efficiently and us made better margin and, or use the money for other things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Could our acquisition costs have been lower? Sure. Uh, Our cost of retention to Pete's point could have been better. Like that's really expensive to remarket people and you don't get paid for that. Uh, But that's now part of the duty and service and So I I want to separate the two of like being able to run an efficient model versus running winning tactics. I think running winning tactics is what allowed us to grow and acquire some clients. You know, the fact that our bank's not happy and that we didn't make money while doing it is an efficiency side of it.
2: And I think you have to make some great points everybody's brought up. but but let's go back to segmentation too. Like when you're taking them from the directs, are those people as sticky? And once they, you have a good value proposition or one of your insurance companies, let's see, CAA has got really good rates right now. You've got them attracted, but all of a sudden the rates go up. Have you built a sticky enough mousetrap to retain those people? Are these people actually, you know, some of the direct people shopping is event. Oh, my renewal is up. Let's go shopping this year. And there's certain uh, segments of the market that they shop every single year. And the stickiness factor the retention is quite a bit less so you know what is what secret sauce what can you do or what kind of journey do you do for the people that don't really care about advice, advice-based versus more direct base. And I think we're picking up a lot more directs than we in the industry, the more innovative ones, but it's harder to keep those because again, we don't control pricing. You know, our actuaries are all over the map on pricing, trying to figure everything out, especially with all these big reinsurance increases in cat events. Right. So, uh, so I would just kind of challenge like, How do we segment, you know, what kind of journey if you, if you identify somebody as somebody that doesn't care about advice and you have to be the cheapest thing and put them in a box where they just get everything's automated. And uh, whoever, whenever somebody puts their hand up, whoever picks them up is great versus an advice based model where you have a dedicated account manager is a little higher cost, but there's a stickiness factor, but the person appreciates it. I think you got to have those two sides of the spectrum right now in Canada. And you know, most people can't identify who those people are. Their BMS doesn't let you code anything and capture any additional information. So it's super hard for you to build journeys and stuff for each of those parties to make them unique hey guys
4: uh i think it comes down to advertising and marketing uh tom and i've been at to a few of these workshops over the years i'm backing up the bus a bit brokers aren't spending the money like it's it, it the money needs to be spent. If you're going to bring in the client count, and Adam disappeared for a second, it's too bad because really what what I'm guessing is that he's spending way more on advertising than the average broker out there is doing. So not talking about the guys in the, on the screen because you guys are, are thinking outside the box. I, I think that the average broker in the communities across Canada just don't spend the money that the big players spend whether it be a direct writer whether it be some of our nationals today are going to start stepping it up i'm i'm pretty sure they kind of have to they have bought all these brokers and spent billions of dollars doing it they better have a marketing campaign soon but i know where do you guys stand in past shows on what brokers spend on advertising and all sorts of advertising
0: well I, i'm not going to answer that question kurt about what we spend on advertising right now but what else i could tell you in my opinion, anyways, that there's a whole bunch of money, uh, available or could be available to brokers to spend on more advertising and retaking market share. If we weren't spending it on things, had to spend it on things that are making us inefficient. So when we have dedicated teams to portal work and there's, you know, I don't, I don't know what, like I've got five, um, you, you put that across all the brokers that are that are that are key clicking uh, doing things inefficiently, opening e docs because they don't know what they are because they're coded wrong. All these things take people and if if we could spend less on stupid donkey work that is forced down our throats and spend that on retaking market share in my opinion, it's dollars and cents, right?
4: I mean, my experience was you needed some scale to really get at advertising. And, and if we're if we're seeing the in- industry kind of go into two camps, you've got the the big guys, the 50 percent now that represent, you know, call it more than 20 locations. And then you've got the other half that's three or less. Um, is that going to be a challenge to these sort of smaller brokers? Like like you said, Steve, is they're spending their money on min costs. They don't have the extra dollars to spend on call it real advertising. That, and, and I'm not talking about their golf club membership that they pushed through on the on their income statement. I'm talking about real advertising. Whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, I thought this was a safe space, Bert.
4: <laughs> but you know yeah. what I'm getting at, right? Like, it, it, Or is that what we're up against? Are we gonna start to see some of these big players hit it really hard here now that maybe with higher interest rates, the M&A, craziness is going to back off and now they're going to make some money. Kurt asked a question, Adam,
2: what's your expense ratio on advertising? I know mine, uh, what's yours? What are you spending?
4: Uh,
3: somewhere between 10 and 15%. Bingo.
2: Yeah. So we were at like, when we were learning, we were at 17 or 18%. It was painful because if we compared our EBITDA to a broker that hasn't done anything, it wasn't great, but we learned a lot. So we were down to probably about. I'm so I'm just under 10. We're down to about eleven percent right now, so we've got it down. So every year, we... so
0: so your Adam, 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 and Jeff, your solution is just to spend more money on advertising or be more efficient.
2: No, wait, no, wait we're not jumping in a solution. We're just answering yeah. Kurt's so question. Let me, we, let me, we get we get lots. Let, of solutions. let me let me
1: jump in here, in here because I will say, having looked at many many brokers over the years, you know, being in the double digit range for market Spend is way more than the average broker, way more, right? So so that when you're talking innovators modern, modern brokers they are investing that kind of money so I think that kind of backs up I think where you're probably going to go uh, with that curve yeah
5: but but hang on Tom uh, just to get back to Steve's point he he, he raised the right point if I spent 10 percent of net revenue on advertising strictly advertising the ownership the ownership here would toss me because it would reduce profits, it would re- reduce net profits so much. And the reason that is, is we're spending so much money on things that could be improved upon through simple technology. So it goes right back to Steve was saying I could spend a lot more that are on things that are measurable returns, right? But I can't because I'm bogged down by a whole bunch of antiquated. Processes, systems, and technology that doesn't talk well together, nor does it function in the way we're told it functions.
1: I think I think this 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 is great feedback because this ties back to our original question, which is why our brokers not getting more market share. And so you've got some brokers who are choosing to spend a significant chunk of their net profit you know, reinvested in marketing, and there are others who are not for a variety of reasons. The problem is, I think, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Is that there is a significant chunk of your expenses that are being spent on, as Steve would say, key clicks, additional people, you know, inefficient processes. That's that's wasted. That is non-revenue generating expense for the sake of expense money that if you had it available to you, could therefore be invested back in the market. And now your partners, your shareholders would not toss you at the window for spending that money because it was, you know, net new money in a sense.
3: I, I think traditionally a lot of sales a lot of brokerages aren't really prolific sales agency like in pnc there's a lot of order takers and you become in the industry and you become the insurance person and you go to it like it's only in pretty recent times that these things are scaling up to be really big competitive businesses um i think like of, of the the automation line i i think if you wanted to figure out how much i could save from really slick systems you would go down and add up how many admin roles do you have in the business, right? And if you if you add up that line item, like that's probably what's going to evaporate first. Maybe you could say some sales go away with e-commerce, but I I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, we're talking about the people that are currently doing what underwriters used to do for brokers eight ten years ago before it got downloaded.
0: I, I I'll give you a number because we did some math, you know, toying around at uh, iBack that you know it's it's literally tens of millions of dollars for the broker channel um dealing with edocs that aren't coded right that's that, just was just one thing.
1: Just that was just
0: thing. just edocs docs was just edocs right so those tens of millions of dollars like it was i think it was 15 or 18 million dollars we just you know did some really rough math on Th- that that's all money that could go back into gaining more market share right now so let's let's assume that everybody is sat- all brokers are satisfied with X as an EBITDA. I don't know, make up a number, 20, 25, 30, it doesn't matter. If we could take the, those admin costs, like Adam was talking about and the administrators, and take take that cost on, yeah, the, that gr- cost of just key clicking and put it over to growth. So you have your broker who's only spending two or 3% on advertising right now because it's a luxury. All of a sudden, they're up to 10 or 12% in advertising if they chose to do that, and
2: they're going to be gaining market share as well. You know, and the problem is there's a lot of people now that haven't been doing it, so they got to figure out, how do I start marketing? How do I... Get an audience, and I will point out that commercials different. Uh, there's a lot of great shops doing commercial, and it's the old fashioned. They've got centers of influence, relationships, they got referral networks. They're out making cold calls. They're they're doing things traditionally. They're out pounding the pavement on that. So there's some good shops that have do have done that, and they seem to be able to scale it. They've also come up with programs, group plans, things like that, where they've got the exclusive. They could channel their marketing dollars, but that's been all kind of tapped, and all those things have pretty much been beat up over the last while. Wait, so
1: definitely interrupted for a sec because based on the last uh, market share data that I've seen that uh, comes out of IBAC, uh, brokers own something like 92% of the market commercial market, right? The agent channel has six or seven and directs have like one or two, right? So Mm -hmm. even if it comes back to our, you know, growing market share in commercial, you're taking from the brokers, You're, you're not growing the broker channels market share. So this really is a, first lines battle, if we're talking specifically about market share, and you know what, they're right, There there are better ways to do commercial, and there are lots of things that are going on in that space that'll make it better, but for market share, brokers already own that whole pie. Pretty much.
2: Okay, so we're actually now narrowing it down to not everything, but personal lines. So there's a big difference, right? And then, by the way, TD jumped into commercial right now, and you've got is Bel Air in yet? Uh, are they doing it? Like, well, you're going to have the next wave of directs trying to go into that market, so that 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 92% is going to be under attack more than ever, right?
4: Well, and they and they and they know that it's being handled by the broker channel, so that's why they're going after it, because the brokers don't spend money on brand. They don't have, any, they, they, they have a
1: community presence, but they really build a brand. Let me, let me just jump in here. Cause I, cause I think, and I'll, I'll come back to you in a sec. So uh, I, I like, I like Adam's um, 10% here, because if you take the two or 3% that traditional brokers are spending on marketing and you take that 10%, all of a sudden you're at that 12 to 13, that, you know, innovative, modern brokers who are growing are spending, right? So it. it Basically, I think what we're saying is, hey, if we can get rid of this, you know, these key clicks and this inefficiency in the system, every broker would have the opportunity to do as much, and these guys would have the opportunity to do more, but every broker would be, would be able to rise to a level of what, you know, the top, current top tier brokers are doing. That's, that's huge, right? That That's, that's, that's market share growth instantly. Or,
5: or just maybe... For those who aren't the top tier brokers or need to be there you just make a little more money in your in your pocketbook at the end of the day which isn't a bad thing either sure like we're not in here for trading dollars
1: no and that's why i say opportunity and some brokers will choose to put the money in their pocket and some will choose to grow their business but where i I want to go with that is say hey there's this opportunity here what is preventing the broker channel from seizing that opportunity how do we go great if we just magically got rid of all the key clicks there's there's this huge opportunity. What's stopping us from from capturing that 10? percent
0: Well, we we already know what what what's stopping us because we've now established that the administrative costs are are one of the things killing us. But I'd like to see what Pete and Kurt think of instead of what is killing us on this administrative costs. It, who is killing us?
3: Well, hold, to unpack the Tom one for a second if if i said we're spending 10 to 15 percent is where i was going um on marketing and someone else is spending two or three to if, if i outspend you by 7x year after year for a decade i gotta tell you my number is getting really big on that investment and you're gonna get drowned out on it and i i just finished lunch with a well uh lance and matt from surex and they make my advertising number look like peanuts, and they're going to drown you out. So it's, it's a bit of an arms race of you need to continue to get big enough so that whether you're spending 2% or 10 or 15, that's got to be a big enough number to, to suck the air out of the marketing room. Um, it doesn't end well if you can't compete there somehow.
5: But you've got to know where you're marketing. That's the other thing. One of the things we don't do a really good job of is understanding our total accessible market and where that is and where the opportunities are. We're still low, low hanging fruit on demographic marketing and where those opportunities lie and that's so you guys operate in some bigger centers. When you get to places that aren't as demographically dense. In terms of population business and stuff like that you really take a different look at how you do things because that's the fear front i don't live in your world with some of the threats that you have but i know they're coming and it gets really scary when you don't have a level of demo density that can support a multitude of of options and and the bet and the best one wins like you have a different
4: reality than other brokers do in some capacities I think, but to Adam's point, Pete, that if you're not spending that money, and now let's say Adam's scenario was looking back five years ago where he started to build a brand and and added more and more to it. And that was before we went through five years of this just, you know, explosion of M&As, let's call it, where now you've got those players who do have the marketing dollars. And I'm not saying that anyone who hasn't spent the money to build a brand should give up. But if there's a time when you should be marketing, it should be now because the likelihood is that doesn't matter where you live, there's gonna be one of these, call it multi-provincial brokers now in your trading area that I think they're gonna come on heavy with brand here in the next 12 to to 24 months. They have no choice. If they've ran out of uh, money to buy, not to say they ran out, but maybe the money is getting a little harder to come by, then where else do you get growth? And that's gonna be marketing, building brand. You've bought this business. Let's, let's market the living crap out of it and and convince people to come in. Because we know that the big brokers don't give better service. So you got to make it look like you give better service. It's like a cheeseburger at McDonald's this isn't the best cheeseburger. But if I see the ad over and over again, I'm pretty convinced it's good.
2: I I think someone just before just before I forget this thought, but the one challenge you have with these big brokerages gobbling everybody up, they got venture capital money and they've got a gun to their head to hit thirty five percent EBITDA. Then they're gonna have an event where they sell it off to somebody else and it gets tighter and tighter. How are they gonna and and, and by the way, they're trying to pull together three billion dollars of business under one name that's been bought up all across Canada with challenges with technical systems and everything? They're gonna have a year or two to sort all this out. And I'm Convinced they will sort it out, but they've got they have less than what you think they have because they've got to figure out how to work with all these people. Some of the branding needs to be done and fixed, and they have to agree on that. So, how do they find the money to do it? You know, when they should have more money to do it, it may be more difficult for them than maybe a smaller broker.
3: Let's have another debate. I'll take a position on it for the fun sake of clarity and debate. But like, what if I say it's too late, Kurt? Like, it, like, if you haven't been awake and piling money into this thing, building up momentum over the last five or ten, uh, pick a different avenue. Because right now, like, the battle that's happening in uh, SEO, SEM, AdWords, uh, even with the aggregators of like, and there's lots of other arenas. You can be door knocking or matter in your local populace or partnerships or vertical integration. But I don't know, man. Like, I'll I'll take that position just boldly say, of like. It might be too late to start. But
5: I, I know what you're saying out of, I, I, I think, I think these fights where you're going with this is, is can you even catch up are going to be really relative to your market area. I don't think it's a universal philosophy across the country. Um, I think it's gonna be really relevant to things like, you know, I don't, you know, I've spent more time in Toronto this last year than I have in the previous 10 and it's just a different reality. Like I go out to Vancouver all the time. It's just a different reality of culture and business and how things behave. And those markets, those big ones are going to be their own battlefields that are completely different than the Regina, Saskatchewan's or the Winnipeg, Manitoba's. Right. And they're going to be different than the Southern belt in Ontario. They're they're all, they're all little different areas. And it's, that's what I think there's going to be opportunity. in. because I'll, I'll tell you one thing about. And I'll speak about the prairies and and I think this applies to other areas in Canada too, because we are a sparsely populated country outside of a few areas. People don't want to see insurance brokers leave any more than they want to see the, the grocery store close because they see it as a decline of their community. There's a lot of support and love for these entities such as us who are there community driven, are a pillar, provide financial security. And what's the underlying thing about insurance and financial services? Trust. People trust the insurance broker. And I think there's an opportunity there, but we've got to look at it differently. And it requires more than just great SEO and marketing. It requires presence and it requires culture and it requires uh, a sense of, of being available. And so I'm going to go back to IBAO this past fall and and I should remember her name because we did a podcast with her but it was um, what's her face from event symbolics and she talked about the AI they did on what customers are looking for and what they they did a comparison what brokers think of value is and what customers consumers think value is in the broker in in the distribution channel and they were totally unaligned consumers want advice we think they want choice. Choices, like, I'm a contrarian this, choice is the most overrated thing we can provide because it sucks up resources. I should be able to talk, let's talk personal lines. I should be able to talk to a customer and sell a policy and know within three minutes what company they should be with. I, and, and to get back to where we're talking about with efficiency, the technology should be in place that I'm not spending my time asking them a multitude of things to get their freaking valuation on their home, to find out what kind of plumbing they have and how old their roof is, because they don't bloody care. They don't know that. They just got in a bidding war to buy their house. They don't know, you know, the real estate agents, I mean, don't even get me started about them. You know, they don't provide a lick of help. And what we should be doing is assuring them of advice, but instead we're bludgeoning them with things that technology could help us provide a way better experience. And that means the broker's going to win because it gets back to what Steve said, you take out these, these things that we're wasting time on and you get them back to having meaningful human advice and connections, you're going to win. Because people only think about insurance a few times a year. And after they thought about it, they forget it until next year and that's why they keep coming back to a human. That's why they haven't given up on the broker channel. Long live the broker.
4: Like uh, it's Ar- true. Ar- Aaron Kelly. Yeah.
5: Right. Aaron, Aaron Kelly. Kelly, that's the lady. And and I I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on that hill. I might be wrong, and I might and I, when I'm standing on that hill by myself waving the flag, I might get run over by whatever aggregator out there and and the hedge fund behind it, but I I I I don't see another way to change things if you can't scale up.
1: What you do, there's a there's a 10% thing, cancer, in every broker's business, right? Some people are overcoming that by having partnerships and local presence and yada, yada, yada. Some people are doing it through SEO and SEM and, you know, cool tools and so on, depending on their market. But there's still that 10%, you know, boulder that's sitting in your business, right? You could do more rink boards, you know, in Regina if you had that 10%. Adam could do, you know, get ranked you know, number one instead of number two on Google, um, you know, et cetera. So to me, it, it what you do with that 10% is entirely up to your local situation and your local business model. But the problem is there's that everybody has that 10%, right? So how, how do we, how do we go and crack that nut? Like, is this, is this the carrier's fault? Is this your BMS vendor's fault? Is this the broker's fault? Like who, who needs to crack that nut?
4: Well, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with Pete a little bit here because he his story's correct, but you have to promote it like the consumer is not looking to find out what the broker is doing for them until they have a claim, possibly. But what you're saying, Pete, is, is entirely true. Adam or someone on the line here, potentially, is taking the time to promote that message using a number of tools, uh, advertising tools, not just digital tools to improve service, but rather promote that message. Beyond the doors of their office, it, I, I think it's. I think that ten percent has to be spent. You, if if you're not spending ten percent today on advertising, you are not going to grow. That's that's my belief, and and I know when we were in the brokerage business, it was far in excess of ten percent, and our growth was far in excess of our competition. It, it worked, so I mean, I'm living proof of it. So, and I'm on on a permanent holiday, as Pete says. So, you know, challenge me on that. Why am I on a permanent holiday? Because I did a lot, shitload of advertising.
1: So I just I, I want to come back to that. You know, that's great. So we all agree. You, you need to have this 10%, you know, whether you do, you know, Pete's approach, whether you do your approach, Adam's approach, whatever, still comes back to that 10%. How do we, how do we get that 10%? Who's, who's going to make that number move? Whose fault is it? Who's going to make that, that number become, go from the expense side of the uh, ledger, you know, into the asset side of the ledger. I think that's completely wrong accounting, but I think you guys know what I well,
5: mean. We're skirting around the issue, right? We have challenges. us I'll say it. I'll be the evil guy. We have challenges with the relationships between the entities of the tech and product providers that we deal with. And we know there's efficiencies out there that are ubiquitous, not to insurance, but to all business that are not really being adopted And there's a lot of excuses that are coming back to it. And that's just basic usage of APIs in data transmission. Gloss it up, dumb it down, however you want. That's where this leads to. And you guys are pushing it, we're pushing it. Everyone's looking at it. Adam's looking at the floor. He's not sure what he wants to say next, but that's what we've got to get to, right? We know there's a solution out here. We all know areas where it's working. I think Jeff and I are in touch with a lot of people in the states that we see really, real meaningful change using things like APIs that are driving solutions and opportunities, and it's just not moving much here. There's a lot of there's a lot of energy being put into it, but it's it's Tom and you're at the forefront of it. Are we pushing a massive boulder up a steep hill, and will we ever get to the top and get it going the other way?
1: Yeah, so just to channel Kurt, Kurt's uh, Greek vacation. Sometimes it's like Sisyphus, right? And for those of you who don't know that, that's the guy who's condemned to push a boulder uphill every day, only for it to fall back down when he gets to the top, and then do it over and over again, right? So yes, um,
3: yes, you have many leather-bound books, Tom. You're you're so bright and cultured. Before before you guys get into the pieces,
1: can we quantify how big this is? How how big is the broker channel? Is it fifty billion? It's about it's about it's about it's about sixty billion because sixty okay. percent of the eighty is personal lines, of which brokers have half, so that's twenty four, I want to say, and then uh, brokers have most of the uh, the remainder. So it's
3: so here's, here's a fun piece of traction because if you take sixty billion and times it by fourteen percent, which would be the total revenue going into the brokerages, and let's say that our numbers hold true as a representation, and everybody's spending ten percent on admin that really could be automated. That's $840 million a year. (laughs) I guess it's stimulating the economy, but it's it's it could be used to better good.
1: Like you want to put the government behind it? Hey, there's 840 millions of savings. Yeah, or 840 million of advertising that the broker channel could do. Right, which is a mind boggling number, a lot of waste. Okay, so instead of saying, um, how do we grow broker market share? We should be saying, how do we get at some or all of that? So, what was the number again? 840 million. Eight hundred. How do we get some or all that eight hundred forty million dollars working for the broker channel?
2: Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it over to you. You're working for IBAC, so tell us what you're doing to help us get you know claim the get the boulder uphill or get the eight hundred forty million back, to ten percent, whatever. How yep. are you helping at IBAC? What's going on there? And yes. then at the end, is it enough, or what can be done to help it? And then Steve can talk about Czu. Yeah.
1: So basically, what we're trying to do at IBAC is get critical mass. That's basically what it really boils down to: critical mass of carriers. And critical mass of vendors and then and then after that critical mass of brokers because it's it's all three of those sets of entities that need to put their shoulder to the boulder, which unfortunately rhymes my apologies for that um, so you know so we have carriers such as Wawanisa who have been leading the way on on connectivity uh, and there's a bunch of other carriers who are investing in Guidewire and are talking about connectivity. Uh, and talking about their investments that they're going to make or in some cases are in fact making. So we need a critical mass uh of those. We've got nine or ten carriers who are you know in discussions with IBAC about working on this stuff together. And so the idea is that they would have a consistent way of doing that, that then there's enough mass that the vendors can then you know have something tangible to work with. Because right now well, Omanisa does things X way and you know Viva does things Y way and um SGI does things another way, and so on. And so, from the vendor's perspective, there's just chaos. And it's very difficult for them. So, and then if the vendor's not doing yeah, it's
5: just it, like the rating it, engine,
1: right? Yeah. So, if and if the vendor's not doing things in, in a in a critical way, it doesn't really matter what the broker's doing because they don't they can't adopt it, right? If they even if they wanted to adopt some of this technology, it's very difficult because now you've already got your nine portals and your nine processes, and then while needs comes along and says, "Good news, we have this API," and the broker goes, "Well." It's different. It's a 10th process, right? So, so to me, it all boils down to critical mass.
5: But okay. So who let, let's get into this right now. Let's talk about the API because I think there's so much, I don't know. I don't want, I don't think we've really pulled the, the, the kimono up and said, this is how this needs to work. And who is using an API right now in your business to conduct business? Any of the insurance companies, APIs, is anyone using one?
0: Several have, have of quoting APIs into ARS, right?
5: Into ARS, okay, but, but, okay, so all these APIs that are made, are they completely dependent on something to be used with ARS or the like, or whatever it is, or a BMS? Or can they stand alone in their own fashion? Are they dependent on a BMS?
2: The kid the could, but the problem is they're not dependent. But here's the problem. And I think it was Walmanista that said it best. Yeah, we exposed our API. We had eight different we had to build eight different versions of that API for brokers that wanted to use it. So that's where the problem is. So that's where I know IBAC and CZO Innotech are working at saying, here's the data that needs to go on all these different transactions. Here's what the field needs to look like. We need to build them together. So while we have one rating API that everybody uses as opposed to having ten different ones. And that way every BMS vendor is not going to charge a pound of flesh.
1: Yeah, and that's that's sort of the CSIO side of the coin that, that Jeff's been sort of referring to. And and one of the reasons why carriers have done things quite differently as well as vendors is to date, the CSIO standards can be interpreted in multiple different ways and therefore have been interpreted in multiple different ways and therefore the implementation becomes very difficult. But I know when when we did the IBAC marketing campaign around um, some of these APIs, I had vendors that I'd never heard of coming out of the woodwork. I had people from Singapore reach out to me saying, hey, we want to connect your APIs because we want to do some cool stuff in Canada. And I had to say, well, hey, IBAC doesn't do these APIs. So you need to go contact a carrier. But I already know they're going to tell you no because it's too expensive for them to deal with every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes out of the woodwork because they're not standard. And I, I think maybe I'll turn it over to Steve to talk about what's happening in that, uh, you know, in that standardization world.
0: Well,
5: I
1: think in the last uh
0: the last year some things have changed in that organization in that there was a new strategic plan that um where brokers who are members of the csio really identified and put forth in that strategic plan that some some level of gov- governance uh of the standards needs to take place and that's that's a process that's ongoing now I- implementing that um and the insurers for the most part didn't really realize like in, in my experience in talking to them all that that 850 million or billion dollar boulder that we're pushing up the hill, they really don't realize that it's that big. They don't think it's all that big a deal, but we really have a death by 850 billion cuts going on. Um, so, uh you gotta you gotta make first of all standards are only standard if they're standard and they're used in a standard way so that means absolutely no room for interpretation there's only one way to do it um, sound like an
5: underwriter steve
0: right there's only <laughs> and and what that does if if that just occurs and it, it doesn't even have to be apis and it doesn't have to be portals something as simple as docs can save really tens of millions of dollars if they're all done the same, because we have so- software readily available right now that is ready to provide automation and efficiency, but it can't work because everything's different on the insurer side. So when, Tom, you mentioned Guidewire, a lot of people are getting off their legacy systems. Guidewire doesn't know this either. I I, I just think there's a general lack of awareness about this huge problem that brokers have, that that 10%. So they're all looking for more business from us. The question has to be, if you want more business from us, make life easier for me, come and sit in my shop and look at the workflows that we have to perform for you. So when you introduce a stupid little question that is different than everybody else, how that breaks things over here, it it makes in um, automation impossible. It, it just busts everything up and adds seconds of time and minutes of time, multiply that by multiple insurers and different workflows. They just don't know what they don't know.
5: So Steve, to your point, we talk about, you know, billions of death by billions of dollars of cuts. How many billions have been put into Guidewire to not really move the needle on anything?
0: Oh, it's 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 moved the needle, I think, on the insurer side insofar as their efficiency, but it has not touched ours. In fact, what it's done is is made things worse.
5: But you go back to oh, can you guys grow for us? Can you find us more business? Oh, by the way, we're putting in Guidewire. We can't take any new submissions on these six classes of business for eight months.
0: Okay, the transition zone is you know. The the world. I was told for years and years the world will get better once we're we're, we get off our legacy system, and then they're off their legacy system, and the world didn't change for me, and in some ways it got even worse and more complicated, and now we have a low-budget version of uh, Guidewire out there, so. Every tiny insurance company who couldn't afford a portal before <laughs> can now get one. So instead of eight portals, I've got
2: 12. Well, and then what's the funny thing is we we had a meeting with some uh, Guidewire executive, and it's actually cheaper to uh, use APIs than to actually build a portal.
3: I'll be the insurance company exec and I say, okay, so you guys tell me you're wasting collectively across the country, 840 million, let's round it up to a billion. What do I care? That's a you problem. Exactly. No, but like talk, talk me off the point of like, let's, let's spell out for insurance companies why they should care. Okay, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll do it. I'll do it. So your, your, your BD rep comes in here and says, I want to talk about your plan for next year, Steve. How's that going to go? Well, okay. So you're going to grow by X, you know, well, I can grow by X more with you. If you're the most efficient insurer to deal with in my stable, right? If transactions with you. Go from ten minutes to five minutes, and everybody else is still at ten. You are gonna get more business out of me. That's just simple math. So get the race on for lowering that time. Get the stopwatch out on each insurer. What's a, what's a new piece of business cost to get or time-wise, length of time to get issued uh, by your internal process by insurer, and and measure it that way. Maybe that would that should be one of the benchmarks or. Uh, metrics that we look at on an insurer by insurer basis
5: And so i'll be the board member on adam's insurance company and i'll say as they're reporting back and saying oh you guys can drop the time down that means we have to hire less people to do the human stuff because you got more time to do it and they just create another bottleneck right like it, they'll, they'll just find a way to do it because they don't care Oh, you save the time. They don't see it as an advantage for you. They see it as an advantage for them. It goes back to them, and that's a big problem. Right? Like, I mean, just to compound the problems with technology, they're not even making investments in the time bomb we've all been staring at for 20 years, which is the demographic one of no one being around. Like, they never planned to hire more underwriters, they never planned to hire more staff. They thought GuideWire would make everything so efficient they'd have more time. And it didn't. Like I don't know of, a, of an insurance company out there right now who literally has enough staff to do deal with the business goals that they want. Because they're walking into everyone's offices and they're saying, hey, how are we going to grow this year? How are we going to grow? How are we going to grow? Well, I can grow, hire more people to deal with the business we send your way. Right? So the tech should take away the money. It should work on both sides, for, right? We talk about it on our side of redeploying things. Well, if you can get the tech in place on the insurance co- to, for the insurance companies to change how they're reallocating resources, maybe you can put them to where you don't have enough and you've never had enough and where all your growth potential is because we've made the efficiencies happen.
0: Yeah. So the four people right now I have dedicated to ABC insurance company portal work, I can put them on the sales floor.
3: Yeah. What about this other side? Uh, hey, we're not going to ask you to spend a hundred million bucks to replatform your API in peace. Uh, Steve, you believe you can do this, and I'm recognizing there's a 10% uh, friction tax on the thing. Uh, So pay on performance. I'll pay you a 10% override if you can do anything you say you're going to do to cover your cost. So you're you're neutral. You've uh, kept your people employed. If you fail to show up and do anything, I don't have any cost,
1: and I have no legacy architecture to invest in. What you just described, Adam, is a growth incentive plan, which is something that I've done in the past as a carrier exec and it works absolutely it works
3: but but if we're, if we're honest about the friction the friction happens when you're like selling and remarketing more so than than just the policy change because if Pete calls up and says I got a new BMW we put that on and yes it's clunky but it's when Pete wants to remove or move over to another market or we have to recheck
1: that it's really clunky if it's just subbing the new you know Rolls Royce that he has but you, you, the thing is that 10% override is impossible, right? It, it, it's not realistic. A carrier can do it once in a while, but if a carrier did that on their entire book of business, they you know, would be well over hundred combined all the time and they would go to business. No, no, I was, I was
3: commenting on the new, like the net new growth where Steve said, hey, if you made this painless and, and you allowed me to you know, take that money, I was investing in the pain into
1: there, I could grow for you. Okay, but, so, but Steve's not, not getting his friction on the new, he's getting the friction on everything. Is it? Right? That's, that's 10%. Yeah, because every time he wants to remarket something, do a policy change, whatever, he's got well, a bunch of key Well,
3: the, the policy change whatever bundle is like a little nuance for me of like, on new, I'm in your camp, I fully agree. On remarket, that's just new with a different financial label on it. It's all the same moving pieces. On the substitution or like, hey, print me new pink slips, it's like, eh, it's not quite as clunky. If every substitution turns into a remarket, sure, we're back into the first camp of like, moving business from camp company to company is really clunky
0: how about being able to handle building out of your bms instead of nine different
1: portals billing is the most common touch point. building is a massive pain in the ass. let's take, let's take something super simple like a pink slip let me let me let me, let me talk pink slip for one sec because it's so simple right every other business in the world if you want a new pink slip whatever the version of it is it you the client go to their portal and do it your freaking self you don't call the broker right in 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 your world in our world they've got to call you you've got to log into that portal go you know go print the pink slip you you can't even click it on your bms so there's even on those simple things there's still friction maybe it's not the full 10 like there's a new business but there's there's something in every transaction so if i'm if i'm louie or intact on this i'm saying like yeah they
3: can do that go into the intact portal and get your documents and if i'm air canada like you can get your boarding pass on there i don't care you bought it through jeff roy travel inc like it's sitting on the air canada app
1: but if you had if you had real connectivity, right, you can go into the Mitch Insurance website or Mitch Insurance app and get it, right. And you don't tell them they go to Intact or Wellness or whatever. Right? You can go to the cheap insurance web portal because that's, you know, how you've associated that your brand with that customer. It's yours. The, f- the fact that underneath it there's an API back to whatever carrier, you know, get pink slip, is irrelevant to the customer. They're just going, wow, Mitch Insurance. I can get my pink slip online. I can, you know, do all the stuff online. It's super simple. So here's here's where we get down to the nuts and bolts of if if a front end system is accessing
3: the information to be served up to the clientele, it's going through an API. So for Intact to have a customer contact center and a claims app, it is accessing information in there. And there is a very secure way for us to have access to the exact same thing. So that's where we've now boiled down to a modern architecture to serve these things up to the general clientele. Is possible and we all see the value of why the clients need the speed to it and I think what we're asking for in this is not only do you need to be build that but at the same time your broker partners should have access to that same thing that your front
4: end does So just hearing you guys out and and sitting back and listening to the challenges and I've heard uh, comments about having 10 12 uh, connection points to carriers is is you know thinking that APIs we' going to fix this and it's going to take a long time it sounds like still till, till that happens. Should it not be that brokers should just have less market? Like if you have the good relationships you have, do you really need to have, Steve, 10 quotes or 10 scenarios where you're going through uh, or your team is having to go through uh, with all those different sort of situations that each carrier brings? Like, what's the magic number? Is it three or four? I mean, we've always debated this. And
0: yeah, the 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 magic number is three or four when you're talking about efficiency. But what three or four do you pick? Because you might pick if if you pick from a competitive placement you just happen to pick the three or four that are 9 10 11 and 12 for the next 4 years you're flafluked for a little bit there when for your new your new business team is going to quit here and go go work for Adam
4: but is that part of Adam's grind on them when he says i'm moving this book to you i want 2 years of I'm, i want rockstar status on all my quoting for, for these prices.
2: yeah, Rockstar status in a regulated environment isn't really rockstar status, especially in the auto. Like it's kind of limited.
5: You know, I would say this is that micro conversations need to happen en masse across the country from brokers. It can't just be associations having difficult conversations. Every broker needs to go in and when their BDM person comes in and says, "I can give you a lot more business if you start aligning with Czo, IBAC, and make significant changes." Until those things, we start seeing the needle move, we're going to we're going to be inefficient with our business goals because you're not investing in efficiency. Like it's we've got to have the same message delivered thousands and thousands of times over and every BDM has got to come back to their boss and say, why are my brokers asking me about this? Cause the BDM's don't know anything. Like, you know, they're nice people,
0: What they're what? good for lunch. Stop asking for, for better portals.
5: Well, don't ask for better portals, ask for, ask for tech, ask for tech that goes right into our BMSs and say, you know what? You know, hold a start holding a hammer over their heads too.
1: Can I can I say that the, the the three the three or four market efficiency hypothesis is based on today's technology? It's based on using portals and you know horse shovels and what have you. If you had real API connectivity, we wouldn't be saying that. You wouldn't be saying how many markets is right because the answer would be all of them. It would be all of them, right? And so, it, to me, however you slice this particular cake. It's always coming back to lack of connectivity is causing major problems within the broker channel, right? Whether that manifests in expenses, in making subpar choices like not enough markets or having to invest in RPA or whatever, it's all because you don't have the right connectivity.
2: I think I think what everybody's saying and Tom said it best, everybody's got to take a shoulder to push the boulder uphill together. It's not just brokers, It's not just carriers. We all have to come together and we all have a role to play in this. And, you know, again, what's in it, what's in it for me, we should be trying to look at what's in it for everybody, you know, all the best teams in the NBA weren't selfish they weren't all about themselves the ones that figured how to play with everybody were the end up doing a lot better so we got a role to create the culture and the environment to make this happen but there's lots of work to be done so uh you know guys thanks for joining us and unpacking all this stuff and we could spend three hours on it and uh be a lot more fun in vegas over a beer at uh, tic but uh know, anyway, i really appreciate you guys joining us
4: it's always a pleasure let's do it again soon pete, pete will bring the mic and and then we'll get some uh, we'll get the real story.
2: Yeah.
1: There
4: you go. Good to see you guys.
1: Before we head out, I just want to give a big shout out to IFS premium finance, our sponsor, as well as the Excalibur read to ride program, our charity partner. Thanks very much guys.
3: Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.